Our Father, we come this morning to celebrate that death has been swallowed up. There is life beyond the grave for those who trust in Christ and Christ only. We have come, O oh God, to celebrate the victory that we share in, a victory won by Jesus Christ, the altogether lovely one. We come to sing and celebrate, O oh God, that though we may die, yet shall we live again. And the proof has been declared and seen and verified by a physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We indeed have much to celebrate today, O oh God. There, is, there are things that are, there are thorns in our flesh. There are difficulties we face in professionally. There are even fractured marriages. And those are, they weigh on our soul, O oh God. But might they for at least this hour be set aside as we remember that though we die, yet shall we live again. Might our woes be swallowed up in the victory that Christ has gained for us. Oh God, accept our worship today. We are people who are glad-hearted. It is the joy of the Lord that brings us strength. And we celebrate Him and the fact that you, by grace, have opened our eyes to see Him in all of His beauty. Once we saw Him, we knew that we needed Him. And having embraced Him by faith, His victory is now our victory. We bless you, O God. Accept our gifts. They are expressions of hearts that are full, full of praise and worship. For the thrice holy God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Chapter of the Gospel according to John. And let me read to you a passage that I'm sure you could almost quote by heart. But follow as I read now. John 20 at, at beginning at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 18. Now the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and she wept and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain then they said to her woman why are you weeping she said to them because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him now when she had said this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus Jesus said to her woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. As you probably already know before you ever entered this room this morning, that um, this story about Jesus' resurrection is one of Christianity's all-time favorites, uh, if not the most favorite story. And why not? Uh, it's certainly understandable that something that would better prepare us to live and to die would be, uh, would be an all-time favorite among us. Don't you agree? We love those stories about uh, Jonah and the whale and David and Goliath and uh, Samson and Delilah. Those are great stories, but this... This is our all-time favorite. Every, every part of it, every specific about it is, is beautiful to us as the people of God. And, and the main storyline we know pretty well. And so what I want us to do today is focus on something that perhaps is less known. Uh, maybe not, but is certainly not to the major storyline, but uh, certainly a part of the story's overall beauty. It's an exquisite detail uh, about this phenomenal event known as the resurrection. It has to do with... A woman. It may surprise you, or come as a bit of a surprise, that um, the next to Jesus, of course, the the most prominent figure on Resurrection morning was a woman, uh, Mary Magdalene. The, ris- the risen Christ is found first by a formerly demon-possessed woman. Now, gang, um, the reason I, I want to make that point this morning is because it tells you something, I think, about the grace of God. And it tells you something a little bit about us. And I, w- I hope I'll unfold that as we, as we proceed. But it is an intriguing fact, ladies and gentlemen, at least to me, that the first person that witnessed the resurrected Christ was a woman who was formerly demon-possessed. The intrigue sur- uh, uh, centers, I think, upon the fact that she was a woman. Now, gang, uh, in this culture, women had not come a long way baby unfortunately, and uh, she was uh, a part of a culture that uh, didn't esteem women very highly, as I think you already know. It has prompted me to say on numerous occasions that uh, to to my sisters in Christ, the great liberator of women was Jesus. He was the one that set women free. Um, You might know that in this culture, women occupied a position that was the envy of no one. Jewish rabbis refused to teach women. And they would stand publicly and thank God that they were not born a woman or a Gentile. The, the testimony of a woman was not permissible in court. And I could go on and on and on. But I think you get the point. Um, it's a picture here about Jesus making himself available and known first on resurrection morning to a woman. It's even more intriguing, I think, because this was not simply Mary. It was Mary Magdalene. And I think you know a little bit about her. She was the one out of whom seven demons were cast. Her only claim to fame is that heretofore she was the home of seven demons. And Jesus had driven all seven of them out. Um, We're not told what the seven demons were specifically. But folks, when when a woman is described like this, 
it isn't a, too much of a guess to suggest that one of her demons was probably prostitution. Here is a woman who was formerly a prostitute that Jesus meets up first with on resurrection morning. Um, you don't want to hear much about the picture of a demon-possessed soul in this culture, ladies and gentlemen. It was an ugly picture indeed. Um, their brains were on fire and they foamed, their souls foamed like a boiling pot. Their bodies were the kennel for the hounds of hell. The, it, demon possession was a case that was altogether without hope. And here is a woman who formerly had no hope uh, is now become the first witness to the resurrection. A perfectly hopeless situation. And yet it is she, this delivered, cured woman, who, is a, who plays a prominent role in this day of all days in the life of Jesus Christ. It is, uh, it is Mary, Mary Magdalene, that is singled out above all others. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. It wasn't even his mother, Mary the Virgin. It was Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, the erstwhile tormented one who was highlighted on this day. If there is a heroine in this morning, it is Mary Magdalene. Very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, of all the heroes of the morning, it was Mary Magdalene. A woman and a formerly demon-possessed woman. Now, um, as I thought about that, I wondered, uh, were there reasons? Was God uh, making a point here? And um, I, I don't pretend to be able to read the mind of God, ladies and gentlemen. But you can't help but notice a few things about her. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Mary Magdalene uh, teaches us a couple of lessons. Uh, it teaches some, it teaches, she teaches us lessons about the grace of God, and she teaches us lessons about devotion to Christ. And that's what I want to reveal to you this morning, those two simple lessons. I, I, you know, you can't help but notice something about the woman that was so impressive. There's a certain beauty to, Mag, to Mary Magdalene here in terms of her devotion to Christ. L let me show you what I mean. Um, this, of course, is a story about Easter morning. But three days earlier, on a very chilly hilltop called Calvary, we are told in the New Testament that there were two women that were the last to leave Jesus' side. One of them was Mary Magdalene. Um, she was one of the two women who stayed close to Jesus until the bitter end. Uh, even following Joseph of Arimathea to see him buried in where Joseph put him. Um, at the cross, Mary Magdalene stands next to Jesus' mother, Mary, and they cry their eyes out like no two women have ever cried before. And yet in the middle of the crucifixion, Jesus turns to John and dismisses his mother to John's safekeeping, as you know. The story is that Jesus from the cross looks at John and says, Take my mother, she's now your mother. And, and, and the Virgin Mary leaves to go to John's house. But who stays? It's Mary Magdalene. <laughs> the mother's gone. The mother is dismissed. But Mary Magdalene stays. Um, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, it was only two women who stayed. All the disciples are gone. You know, they've tucked their tails and they have run for safer, pl safer places. But there standing, there she stands. And had she been allowed, she probably would have washed his feet all over again. But who was it that witnessed the moment that Jesus 
commended his spirit. Who was it that, that heard, it is finished? Two people, actually three, maybe four. The thief on the cross, the other man crucified, and then two women, one of those being Mary Magdalene. She stays until the bitter end. And gang, this was certainly no place for a woman, but she is the one that witnesses everything. My point is, um, there is a devotion in this woman's life that, you, that is not common, ladies and gentlemen. There is a, there's a beauty to her devotion that you don't see up and down the line in terms of Christian experience. That was three days ago. And now we move ahead three days to the resurrection morning. And the first person that is mentioned is Mary Magdalene. Um, she is going to find out the, the whereabouts of her now dead Savior. She, she assumes some wrong things because she thinks that uh, he's going to be in one condition when in fact he's not in that condition. But um, she was determined to find out what his present condition was. Um, <laughs> the point is this. Nobody else was so determined. John, Peter, and the other nine of them, they're still at home, uh, you know, crying over their wounds. But it's Mary Magdalene, this woman who is determined to find Jesus. Whether he is dead or alive, she's going to find him. Ever since that day that he cast out seven demons, her, her intention was she was not going to lose track of him. She was not going to lose sight of the one that she so loved. And then when she arrives at the tomb, the stone has been rolled away and she concludes that the body is gone and she immediately runs, not walks, she immediately runs and gets Peter and John. They come back with her, discover that um, indeed the body is gone. And then I wanted you to notice this. You will notice in verse 10 that the disciples went away again to their own houses. <laughs> they find out that the body is gone. What do they do? They go back home. But not Mary. If you'll notice in verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. She didn't go back home. She stayed there weeping by herself in a pretty scary spot. A woman in a graveyard alone, confused, befuddled, and weeping. You don't hear of any tears coming out of Peter's eyes. You don't hear about any tears coming out of John's eyes, but there she stands. And it's beautiful, ladies and gentlemen. It's a beautiful portrayal of a woman who's devoted and committed to her Savior. You don't see that in anybody else. You see it in a woman who was formerly demon-possessed. A woman alone, standing there, fearlessly, trying to figure it all out, weeping. It's, it's a rare sight, but it's a beautiful one. That she is not going to give up until she knows the status of her crucified Savior. You know, and then um, she looks inside, we're told in the text, and she finds two angels sitting there and she uh, engages in a conversation with them and she turns around to see somebody that she thought was the gardener and it's Jesus as the text says and so she ends up asking Jesus where Jesus is. She doesn't know that but to finally Jesus engages in dialogue and with one more word, a simple word, her name, Mary, Jesus recognizes the voice or Mary Magdalene recognizes the voice and embraces and, and, and to the degree that he has to say, stop, stop, stop. Stop clinging to me. 
And if he hadn't have said that, she'd probably still be clinging to him. But, but all I'm trying to point out, ladies and gentlemen, is this intensity of her devotion. Everybody else is still in their houses, twiddling their thumbs, trying to figure it out. But there she is. Weeping, standing, waiting, searching, confused. But there she is. When the rest of them have, um, have decided that it'd be more comfortable at home, I guess. Or they're certainly not going to um, expend a whole lot of energy like this woman has. You know, what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to portray is a picture of a woman who will do anything. Anything that she has to do to find her Savior. Show me where you put Him. And I'll go get him, says the, says the, she says to the gardener, who she thought was the gardener, who happened to be Jesus. Listen, Mr. Gardener, could you tell me where you put him? Because if you'll just show me where he is, I'll go get him. Is that not foolish? What does she, what does she think she's going to do if she, if she does find a dead body? She thinks she's going to tote it away herself? But the picture is of a woman who will do anything. She will do anything. Whatever's necessary, she will do anything to find him. Whatever I have to... To sacrifice whatever pains I have to endure, whatever fearful situation I find myself in, it doesn't matter. I want to be next to Him. And it's a pretty impressive sight, I think, when you find a woman or a man or anybody else weeping her eyes out until she finds it. I, don't you think that's pretty impressive? An impressive devotion to, um, to her Savior. We're told one other thing. That she is asked by Jesus to go back to John and Peter and the rest of them and tell them that I am alive, uh, you know, and I'm about to ascend to my Father and your Father. So here's the, the woman whose testimony is not valid in a courtroom, but she becomes the great testifier. She becomes the preacher to preachers. She's the one that goes back and says, He is alive. Let's go find Him. It's pretty impressive that a woman who was not thought of much in this culture and a former demoniac is the one that is so honored and the spotlight is shined on her. And I think the thing that is so beautiful about her picture, at least to me, was her determination. Her determination to find. She, she, is not going to, she is not going to stand for very long an absence between her and her Savior. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I want to suggest to you that while the world lasts and while great sinners live in the world, like us, Mary Magdalene needs to be preached. Her story needs to be told. Her story needs to be remembered. And the point that needs to be made, I think, is that God loves to demonstrate grace in situations that are hopeless. The point that needs to be made is that there is no depth of sin, no even a possession of devils that can thwart the grace of God in a life. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it seems like what God does so frequently is go out of His way to find the most hopeless of all cases to demonstrate grace in them so that you and I might find an, a modicum of encouragement in it. Do you get that point? That is, 
if God not only can save a demoniac, but also use a former demoniac, what does that mean to people like us? I think God loves to find illustrations. He loves to give us illustrations of how overcoming is His grace. And nothing will stop Him. Nothing will stop a God of all grace from saving the worst of sinners, like a Mary Magdalene. And I say to you further, ladies and gentlemen, that one of these days, just perhaps one of these days, when the Holy Spirit will lead us inside the pandemonium of our own hearts, you know what we're going to find? You're going to find more than seven. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I want to suggest to you that we're all redeemed demoniacs. And I don't mean that you were demon-possessed, but I'm saying our situations were almost equally as hopeless as hers. She is a display of grace. And I may be addressing some Mary Magdalene this very moment who is filled with more than seven devils. Well, I want you to know there's no reason to stay that way. And Mary Magdalene ought to give us all hope. I want to close by telling you a story that I hope will help you understand a little bit about Mary. And I hope, at least if you're, um, if, you're, if you're an explorer, if you're searching out what this Christianity business is all about, I, I, I hope this story will help illustrate what the people of God are all about. I hope that once you hear this, you'll understand Mary, you'll understand grace, and you'll understand His devotion to Him, or his, her devotion to Christ. It's a true story, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let, let, me, let me start this way first. In 1998, a group of us went to Israel, and it was a wonderful trip, and I hope one day to go back as soon as they stop shooting each other over there. Uh, I hope to take a group back to Israel and, and, and go one more time. But uh, my, my, most favorite, my, my favorite tourist site in Jerusalem was the Holocaust Museum. Now, you know what the Holocaust was, do you not? I hope you do, but uh, it's a, kind of an embarrassing chapter in the history of man. But the Holocaust Museum, when uh, during the early, late 30s and the early 40s, over 6 million Jews were slaughtered. Well, you can imagine that the best of Holocaust museums might be in Jerusalem. Wouldn't you kind of think that makes sense? Well, the, the, the museum is very impressive, but outside the museum was something that, at least to Susie and me, was more impressive. It was called the Way of the Righteous Gentiles. And what it was is a, it's a little strip. Uh, oh, gosh, it's at least the length. It's probably twice the length of this building, this room. And um, it's a strip, and it's um, kind of paved or something. And all along both sides are trees. Trees that have been dedicated to righteous Gentiles. Gentiles that were used or, or that, that devoted themselves to saving Jews during the Holocaust. It was people who were non-Jewish who decided that this Holocaust was so evil that they were going to risk their lives in hopes that some Jews could be delivered from Hitler. In that group, in that, on that road of the way of the righteous Gentiles, there's a tree there to Cory Tinboom. Y'all, you should know that name. Cory Tinboom, the hiding place. Well, she's got a tree in the way of the righteous Gentiles because she hid Jews from the Germans. 
There is another tree there um, in, in the way of the righteous Gentiles devoted to a man by the name of Giorgio Perlasca. Giorgio um, had, was a Spaniard who had fought with Franco in the Spanish Civil War. But he was granted a diplomatic status in Hungary during the Holocaust. That is, this Spanish diplomat, who having fought with Franco in the Civil War in Spain, was now in Hungary as a representative of the Spanish government. On one occasion, he drove down to the, to the loading docks and saw what was going on. The Germans were loading people. They were in a line. And they were loading them, cramming them. You can't, they have a, one of those railroad cars in Jerusalem up on this big thing. It's unbelievable how many... They were sticking 300 people in this... Oh, my goodness. I mean, it wasn't the size of this thing. They were cramming people into these things like cattle. They were. They were cattle cars. And Giorgio uh, saw them cramming these people like cattle onto cattle cars. And as he watched, he noticed that the next two that they were about to put on were small children, twins. And so, an idea struck him. And he called out to the two twins and said, Run to my car! So the two little twins heard him and they dashed to his car and he slammed the door behind them. And um, the SS, of course, came over there wanting to get the, the two kids out of that car. And Giorgio Palasca threw his hand, threw his body over the, the car door and said, This car is extraterritorial. I'm a Spanish diplomat. Adolf Eichmann himself was summoned to try and get these children out of that car, but could not due to diplomatic reasons. The point is, Giorgio went back and was used to save 5,200 Jews by purloining them away in his car that was extraterritorial property. One of the Jews who was named, who is unnamed, I mean, that was saved by Perlasco, wrote a poem about him. It's brief. I am, um, I want to read you the poem. Our bodies bore the burden of a star, but that man who saved thousands made our burden lighter, turned a yellow star of shame into a declaration. That man who saved thousands still lives, but he is silent. I must shout for him. Now, guys, stay with me. The reason I tell you that story is because it illustrates a point. There is a strange relationship, a sweet relationship that begins to develop between a deliverer and the delivered. There is such a brand of fondness that comes from a delivered to the deliverer. And I am here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that I am nothing but a shouter. I am here like this uh, unnamed Jew... <laughs> My deliverer left me 2,000 years ago, and I'm nothing but a shouter. And we who are the people of God, we're nothing but shouters. Because what we've done 
is that we, we ran to his car. When the deliverer said, I see you're on a line and headed into a cattle car to hell, run to my car. We heard him and we dashed. And then he threw his body over us and has been protecting us ever since. And there's something marvelous about the relationship that develops between the deliverer and the delivered. There's something that we can never quite get over. My point is, Mary Magdalene had run to his car. And as a result of having been delivered by this deliverer, there was something that she never quite got over. Her whole life was transformed by the fact that she had been delivered by this Jesus. And she became a shouter. And those of us who know this Savior, ladies and gentlemen, we're... We are forevermore to be shouters. If you're here today and you're um, exploring your possibilities, we're, we're pleased as punch that you're here. And there's a sense in which I think the, um, the people of God ought to, ought to apologize. We ought to apologize because the devotion that you see displayed in Mary Magdalene it shames us. It's a devotion of one who knew she had been delivered and she never quite... But it seems that our devotion to Christ isn't, doesn't measure up to Mary Magdalene's. And I think you see that, don't you? You see that in Jimmy Young. Jimmy Young doesn't have the kind of devotion that Mary Magdalene had. But ladies and gentlemen, my greatest... And fondest desire, along with so many in this room, is to see devotion like this in us. But until that time, we're shouters. We want you to know our Savior. We want you to run to His car. That's where we ran. We ran to His car because somebody said, You're in a line on a cattle car to hell. Run to his car. And we did. You know, those of you who sit here today and are thinking of or trying to plan some scheme of, uh, as to how you might deliver yourself, it won't work. Run to Jesus' car. And I, ladies and gentlemen, am here to tell you I, I will not shout because I'm awfully loud. But I'm a shouter. Run to his car. You know, I think of people in this room, even junior hires and senior hires, who have already done things that you're ashamed of and you want no one to know what they are. Run to his car. Run to his car, ladies and gentlemen. Have you run to Jesus' car yet? Are you still in line? Because there's still time, my friend. There's still time to do what Mary Magdalene did. There's still time to do what Jimmy Young did a little over 30 years ago. There's still time to do what so many people in this room have done. We simply, we simply saw a Savior who would deliver us. And we embraced.
embraced him. And now we live to shout. To shout about the fondness that we as the delivered have for our grand deliverer. Oh, my friend, run to his car. May we pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do rejoice that there is a provision made for sinners such as we. There has been a provision made that no demon could uh, undo, that no devil could overturn, but that the grace of God could not overcome with His life-changing work in us through Christ. All of us were simply people in a line headed to a cattle car on its way to hell and saw the Savior and ran to the shadow of His cross. And there we hide. And I pray, Father, that if you've led people here today who are, who are still wondering what it is that they should do with their souls, might they see that this is their chance to run to His car, to get out of that line and run to Jesus' car, and there be safe for an eternity. Oh, God, make the rest of us into shouters. People who love to shout. People who love or long for a growing devotion to Jesus Christ. One that would rival Mary Magdalene's. One that would make us determined to stay close to Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we thank You for all that You've done for us in Christ that because He now lives and is resurrected, we, His people, have been resurrected with Him. That we too, though we die, will certainly live again. In Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.